with kind and ILO, we just want to show the world as an excuse to tell people how we actually experience, you know, to tell people how we actually feel, to let them see from our perspective. Hello and welcome to the Art Persist podcast, a new series by Bossler Arts offering a glimpse into the life of artists and activists from all over the world, here to share their story with you, the listener. In each episode, we feature interviews with artists who share their first-hand experience of using their work to stand up to some of the world's most feared dictators and regimes, and individuals working day and night to protect them. My name's Georgia, and in this episode, we talk to creative duo Sai and Kay, who discuss growing up in Myanmar, their work, and the 2021 military coup that would change their lives forever. Many books I've been trying to read for all over the years, trying to finish all over the years. This is uh, one book I really committed to. And it's, it's from Albert Camus, um, The Myth of Sisyphus. That's Sai. Sai is a multidisciplinary artist whose work follows the political turmoil that has engulfed Myanmar since the coup of 2021, and specifically the trauma inflicted on his own family, exploring the unjust narrative of the relationship between his father, who has been held as a political prisoner by the Burmese junta since the coup, and his mother, who lives under 24-hour surveillance in constant fear for her own safety. Sai himself has been in hiding for almost a year, and his name is actually an Elias for his own safety. And there's a quote that stuck with me, and that is, I leave Sisyphus at the foot of the mountain. One always finds one's burden again. But Sisyphus teaches the higher fidelity that negates the gods and raises rocks. He too concludes that all is well. This universe henceforth without master seems to him neither sterile nor futile. Each atom of that stones, each mineral flakes of that night filled mountains in itself forms a wall. The struggle is towards the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you. I kind of read a lot in Myanmar well, when I was like young. That's Kay. Kay is a curator, creative director, and a leading change maker. As an ethnic minority in Myanmar with a global citizenship spirit, Kay has embraced and has been a driving force in shaping the harmonious and diverse societies and communities of Myanmar through the arts and culture. I read Burmese books. Mm. So uh, there is like a one book, one Burmese like a uh, writer, and the name is like Mia Javu, and then it won the book award. And like it shows that how much the life itself is like, really difficult. Like you have to endure it and like you have to like nail it as a woman being. Like that book really inspired me since I was young. So like till now I remember it. I don't know, does it make sense? It does, it does, thank you. Yeah, I want to read it. 
Well, thank you both so much for being here and welcome to the Artpersist podcast. To kind of get started, could you each tell me a bit about your early lives, where you both grew up and what life was like? I grew up in Yango, which is like a city of a uh, like country. But the thing is that even though I grew up in Yango, I didn't know much about Yango actually. Uh, because like my mom is like really afraid of so like she is like really control like not in a bad way you know like in our country mm-hmm. like woman has to be like this way and that way and, and mm-hmm. everything so i didn't know much about yango i didn't know how to go get around yango and um i think my family was poor but somehow they really tried so hard and gave us the education and later we are in the middle class uh, yeah so that's our early life so like some later i found i found out yangon through sai actually i didn't know yangon that much where is it in myanmar it's like a city yangon like when whatever you go like outside of the country you have to go there to get out Ah. Okay, nice. And what was your introduction to art? What got you interested in it? I I didn't know that I was like really interested in art, but I like I like to read and I like people talk about you know like even poem, I like people talk about like in a short amount of time, in a short amount of sentence, mm-hmm. they like articulate so well. And I like uh and in our country, it's not like when we grew up, we cannot talk about politics. Even like talking about mm. politics is like forbidden because we grew up in the like hunter uh, generation. So like, I like when people portray in their art, even though they don't talk about politics, they portray about poverty and like socioeconomic situation in the art. So, you know, it's like the one way to talk about what is going on so yeah is it, is it kind of like a way to get around the system you can you know talk about the the problems of the of what's happening and of a of a regime but in a more subtle way in in that sense yeah yes that's really interesting yeah. uh Sai what about you what was your early life like basically I live in this town called Lasho and you know, if you if we are mm-hmm. starting to talk about metaphor, it's like a desert. <laughs> if art if art is water, it's basically like a desert. So um, it's quite a hard place to live, and it's quite near to China, and it's in Shan State. And you know, we have like a southern Shan State and northern Shan State. And um, if you look at Burma, like southern Shan State is like a full of like you know sceneries. Uh, tourist attractions in the lake mm-hmm. uh, and, you know beautiful hills etc but on the north we is basically more or less like detroit uh because we have all the problem we have all the drug problems uh we have the civil wars is quite intensifying there as well mm-hmm. uh, fighting between you know myanmar military and the ethnic uh ethnic uh, shen armies i kind of like grew up in that place and my father uh, who've been uh, in prison for as a political prisoner with bogus charges 
for 16 years. Like he, before he became a politician, he was a dentist. He worked as an assistant dentist. Uh, the funny part is he used to be a comedian. Uh, he used to be like a traditional comedian. Uh, what happened is like my father don't really have uh you know he he come from he he's basically come from a very middle class family. He's you know he he don't have money. He don't have the art artistic background. So he choose to be a dentist, and he participated in in 1988 uprisings, and he was kind of like involved heavily involved in the protest. And the police were kind of like after him, so he had to go to to Shen State where he met my mother. So I grew up in this very chaotic town, and and you know, um, but my my father's always tried to bring his artist friends, his his writer friends into the town to make much more uh, livable <laughs> artistically. Yeah. Uh, so, mm. but like. Uh, my childhood was pretty pretty intense because my father have OCDs and I used to live with my father most of the time because my mother had to walk in another town. So I kind of like grew up as his therapist in a way because he kind of like unravel, you know, unravel his, yeah. his depression or the hardship that he faced yeah. in the hospital. And I'm there. I as a kid is there. So I have to listen and take everything in. It's quite yeah. unhealthy for a kid, but uh, I I think I grew up very early uh, because mm-hmm. I don't have much opportunity to be a kid. Whenever I try to be, you know, try to express myself creatively, the thing is that my father don't want don't want me to be an artist. Because he's he told me like I've seen it with my own eyes. I witnessed it. Mm. It is not quite a sustainable life. It's not, you know, and and also ethically speaking, it's quite complicated. You don't want to live in a complex lifestyle. So he kind of like trying to protect me from it. And later I moved from one town to another, and um, you know, I, I until the. Until I started to create, and I started to like expand myself boldly with uh, starting with the photography. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's really interesting to see how. Yeah, I guess you. Hear, it's a story you hear often. Actually, from I've heard it a lot with different people from different parts of the world. You know, especially. I don't know that parents are like, "Don't go into the arts because you're not going to be able to support yourself." But. Um, I guess in a way it's also like that act of rebellion when you're like this is what I want and this is what I'm going to do and maybe sometimes people need that drive as well to really pursue it and where did the two of you meet? Uh, I think you should start about it uh, and don't don't just brag about it but just <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> so like I was working for American Center as a lecturer. I focus on conflict transformations and peace education. So uh, I started to work there uh, since early 2014. And we met at, at one particular event. Uh, and the event is called like, Religious Pluralism. And we ended in the same group. Uh, it's, really, it's really funny. We, like, we ended in the same group. We started to exchange more ideas about uh, that you know our our ideology about uh, religious pluralisms, and I I asked her out because it's it's actually hard to find someone which we can 
talk about like political ideologies or like uh, religious pluralisms. So we started to talk and talk and talk. And basically it's like, you know, I mean, it, it sounds very cheesy, but for me, I mean, my slice of truth, <laughs> my slice of emotion, uh, I, I think it feels like, you know, the Richard Linklater, like before trilogy, but, you know, not the last one, but the, the first <laughs> trilogy the before sunrise. <laughs> so we just like, you know, going around and talking, going around and talking. And yeah, yeah basically that's it. Amazing. It must be, I can only imagine, it must be such a special thing to find someone who you can speak, you know, you connect with, but you can also have that kind of ability to speak freely and share your ideas with. Kai, do you want to add anything to that story? Yes, I I agree because I haven't told you that my parents are from uh, Yakan, even though I grew up in like Yango, um, my ethnicity is Yakan. So back then, Yakans and like Rohingyas mm. and everything like you know clash is going on. So I I as a like Yakan youth like focal person, and I who like you know preparing for the youth forums and everything. I mm. want to like learn about how people coexist each other. So like that's that's the reason I went there and like uh, I went to that forum and like mm. to talk about it because I. As a Yakai you like most of the people really have the wrong idea of like being a racist and everything. So uh, I want to talk about it and like when I meet with Sai and then it, it was it is really interesting to share the ideas and talk like, you know, to exchange the like, you know, the point of view because like in our country they think that most of the ladies like shouldn't talk about politics, you know. <laughs> yeah, and like when I'm with Sai, I can talk about it. What I what I'm in my mind, and like yeah. you know, uh, we still talk about it. So yeah, I like to talk about ideas. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it's fantastic. <laughs> I can vouch. You guys seem amazing together. Obviously, you were both uh, part of the, or you were both witness to what happened in 2021 in the coup um, and the protests that happened after. I was wondering if I could kind of hear from both of you what your experience of that was and, yeah, how it shaped your life. Two days before the coup, we have lots of plans, you know. Uh, we have like uh, the the plans to make club biennale, like club contemporary, and we talk about ideas, like we talk like that what we used to do, like mm. possibilities and like how we will do exhibitions and stuff. And then the, there's like a rumors that oh, like there will be possibility that like could might happen. Mm. I was like, okay, if that happened, that would be really really sucks because I grew up in that era. I, I didn't want to go back. And uh, we were really like scared of it. Actually, we woke up with the news that the coup happened in the 4 a.m. actually yeah. from my mom. And I thought that mom was like looking at the like, you know, really shady news and like yeah. she, she, she got the wrong you know, information and such. I didn't believe that. 
And I was checking that like, okay, that could happen. Like I saw it on the BBC and everything. I was with Sai at that moment, mm. so I I told him to call his family, and then like we couldn't call anymore, and then like and then like we found out that the coup happened, so we had to run because the place that we got we stay, the police know, so we had to run since like five years. Mm. And uh, we had to take out the money as well we, because like the ATM machine, like we didn't have money in my in our like hand, so I had to go take out the money, and a lot of people were lining up because like uh, the internet might cut off soon, and soon after that internet like there is no internet anymore, there is no phone line, phone line anymore, and uh, we didn't know where to go. Uh, we weren't sure that whether we had to run with Sai because oh. like they they come to the family member and we don't know what's going on with their, their family as well. We try to run to other place, but the other place has that kind of like really big bridges. Yeah. So if they take off the bridges, then we won't be see each other again mm. anymore. So we didn't go that side of the town. One thing I remember though, like Georgia, like that first day of cool, I still remember it. There is like a curfew that people shouldn't go out at like after eight, yeah, after eight p.m. And we didn't know what's gonna happen, you know, what's gonna happen, who's gonna lead something, like you know. And at the time, I saw a lady, like uh, I live in the ninth floor of a condo, and I saw a lady around yeah. ten p.m. She was like really, really angry and destroying everything on the road. I was like, oh, wow, this, this lady is really badass, you know? <laughs> and like, she's she just young. I can see that she's just like, how, like, you know, 25 or like around there. But like, she was like shouting, like screaming. And then she was really angry. And then, I was like, really worried about her. There's like curfew. She hear me out, you know, and uh, uh, police might arrest her. And then like, she <laughs> slept on that platform, like covering with the like umbrella. I still remember her, you know. I want, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm always like wondering what happened to her. I don't yeah. know her, but that happened. Yeah, and um. So we couldn't sleep at night for a long time because they like military terrorize people at night. They arrest people. So uh, I had to hide Sai. Like, I, I cannot let people know that Sai is in this building. Mm. If they, uh, if there's like a lot of people like snitches, uh, especially in our like building, like, you know. Yeah. So I, I was afraid that they might know and there is no internet or we don't know what is going on. And then three days after, there is like, like mm, 72 hours that we waited. Yeah. And uh, and people started to uh, protest. And, and young people started to protest. So at night, people got arrested. So I don't know. It's like I'm talking about I don't know how many lifetime mm -hmm. goals, but 
Yeah, I still remember though. We couldn't sleep. Uh, uh, we couldn't, we couldn't sleep, and like we were afraid yeah. that there would be acid attack. Also, like there is like one time that um, they release people from um, mental hospital, like you know, uh, and uh, do all sort of stuff at night. So they 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 make an arson attack. Mm. So uh, the military look at the people from the like drones, and then yeah. and the people like the way that people react. They they documented it. Oh, like these people were beat up. Like the the mental like you know disabled people. But we like the people didn't do that. Even though they they were also victim. You know. Yeah, sounds really scary. It must have been. Yeah, I can't even imagine. And Sai, maybe you can share a bit about your experience because obviously you've mentioned uh, briefly about what happened to your father, but maybe you could elaborate about those days that followed the coup. In February first, two thousand twenty-one, uh, the coup happened. Uh, I didn't know about that. Nobody knew about that. Everybody. Would- Thought that it would be really bad for the military because doing a coup would destroy the is against the constitution, yeah. that the very constitution that they developed. First thing that we we understand that we have to do is I have to pack everything up, and then I have to move to a, another location. Before packing, I call my parents, and it, the phone lines are totally cut mm-hmm. off. I cannot call anybody, but I have to pack. But because I know that if I if I try to you know. Hide myself good enough. I might be able to do something for for the people that I love. It's already six a.m. I was actually opening WhatsApp and you know sending voice message to some of the you know close friends that I have, um, and I was sending them that this might be my last message before I got arrested. I'm actually like trying to you know send you things and like my parents are being taken. I don't know what's going to happen next. They might cut off internet very soon. Uh, so I moved to another secure location and finally got there. I'm trying to contact my parents, no internet, nothing. Mm-hmm. The electricity was cut off as well. Yeah. Everybody don't know what to do. But after a while, I started to get connection from my, not actually from my father. He called me when he was actually in jail, but uh, he was re- released mm-hmm. on next day, February 10th. Uh, he was house arrested the whole time. My parents were ha- always being house arrested. On, yeah. So on 10 February, uh, they they come and take my father again, um, you know, in the same similar manner. And then he was inside the military compound uh, till July. So all this time I'm trying to hide and I can see there's something bad going to happen. You know, even on the first day of uh, February, first day of the coup, people were mm. kind of like, Talking about protests, I started to talk with some of my friends from Hong Kong. They started to send me the Hong Kong protest manual. Because like when the internet is gone, people don't have no idea how, how to do anything any longer. So I started to interpret the Hong Kong protest manual, how, what to do, what is the formation, what is the peaceful protest, what, how to protect yourself during the pro- protest, how to handle when you got arrested, what yeah. are your rights. Uh, and how to protect against the tear gas and how to make your own makeshift shield, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. 
But I was, I can somehow smell it, that imminent danger is getting closer. My father will be taken away from me like very soon. I know that's why I keep saying. But on the evening of tenth、uh, February, he's been taken again. So he he's been taken again, and and since then、uh, I try to help my mother remotely from the、uh, from from Rangoon, and at the same time, I was uh, disseminating uh, uh, you know the information. Okay, well, thank you both so much for sharing that experience.、Um, I, it's kind of unbelievable when you when you say it because it must have just been, in the space of just a few days, it's like your whole lives、uh, turned upside down. I was wondering if you could talk a bit about, maybe you could actually introduce a bit about your the art that you were doing before, and you're both now in the UK,、uh, and shortly leaving. To to elsewhere in Europe, and maybe talk about how your art has changed since you were in Myanmar to when you when you came to Europe. Like I told you before, I talk about social political like situation. So before that, I like I work with Sai about and、uh, you know how discrimination against the like people and even little like. You know,、uh, racial wars and stuff like that. How it affect to the people? How it affect to some party life? Even even that, you know,、uh, we try to talk about it and and also like poverty and stuff like that. Yeah. Kai also always been supporting my project, and she、uh, she's always been the one who kind of like direct me.、Mm. But like the project that we basically successfully collaborate with each other is it is an anti discriminatory is is a project to fight against all the discrimination because、uh, our country have a lot of identities.、Uh, we have like more than one hundred and thirty five ethnic groups. And we have all religions in our country. But I, what we try to do is like we try to reach out to our trusted sources of friends and and leaders from civil society organizations, and we started to invite them for this participatory social experiment ish like、uh, art project. So what you have to do is you just have to sit down and then talk. <laughs> and so they started to talk about. Their experience about discrimination, how they have been discriminated, on which identity, but like、uh, it's like unfolding, you know, one petal to another.、Uh, we started to explore more and more, and they they also started to develop a, a, a consciousness. For me, in my perspective, I kind of like、uh, witness that they kind of like see a new vision. A sense of unity, I would say. Kai and I were trying to fight this us versus them. You know,、uh, theory. Yeah. Another thing is like to speak about my own practice. Since two thousand fifth, you know, since two thousand sixteen, when my father started to take the position of you know the government official, he told me on the first day that、uh, I still remember is a really dim night and you know、mm. with the moonlight and we are at the front yard and we talk and he's talking like I just met with the military general. And I just want you to let you know that if they want to do the coup, they can do any time. Yeah, we don't. We don't actually have any power, even though we are like、uh, democratically elected 
for me, uh, for me as a citizen, I created this uh, this uh, series of photography hour call hour, which which kind of like forecasts the coup. Mm. I know that something the coup might happen anytime because of all these like instability mm. and the patterns of oppressions. The whole concept of this like project is about uh, having a nightmare within a dream and inability to differentiate the nightmare and the dream. Gosh. Well, thank you for sharing that and what incredible work under the most extreme circumstances. To kind of finish it off, I wanted to just ask you both the question of, you know, obviously you've now left Myanmar um, under really, really difficult circumstances. So, of course, your father um, has been arrested and sentenced to, I think it's 15 years in prison, and you're both now out of Myanmar and safe, but still life is so difficult. It's a hard question to answer, I'm sure, but I was wondering how how you see the future and how you see your work taking in that future. Um, I'm really hopeful for the future, actually. Hmm. Surprisingly. <laughs> That's great to hear. <laughs> That's, that's what I want to do. <laughs> so, um, so even though a lot of people die as we speak right now, uh, I still think that we can win the revolution mm. and we have to play our part. One of the things I'm good at is like to talk about what is going on inside the country through our walk, like, you know, if we have the chance to give as a exhibitions and stuff like that, and we will be able to share mm. uh, our suffering. Yeah, I choose the right word, our suffering, because um, I want the viewer to suffer even for a few minutes. Yeah, uh, we they want them to be in our shoes, then like they will know what we are dealing with, like our daily life. If we have chance to show that, then uh, that that's the proof that we're like, you know, that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Like you know, um, at the wall mu your wall museum, there is like a um, Holocaust like exhibitions going on. That's the mm. proof. And uh, people need to see it. People need to learn from that. And uh, that's what I want to do. And that's, that's my, you know, aim to contribute in that kind of, in, in this revolution. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautifully said. Thank you so much. And Sai, what do you see of the future and your practice? My, I mean, basically, my practice is just an, it's an excuse. <laughs> you talk about hope, and I, I think it will have a good uh, relation to that, and and quite relevant to that because like, my mother have developed a false sense of hope. She, she have a false hope that my father will release in back in two thousand, yeah, since two thousand twenty one February. I call her every mm. day. And I, I'm telling her that, how are you? And, and she's saying that, yeah. But as, whenever she started to bring, at, bring up that my father might release from the military compound, and then I have to tell her, mom, he might not. And we might have to think about the force and mm -hmm. prepare for the worst. 
And one, this conversation, you know, one, whenever we talk, whenever she mentioned about that, whenever I mentioned the similar response, uh, she don't want to hear my voice anymore because I'm basically kind of like, I'm, I'm threatening her, her safe place, you know. And I'm just trying to uh, destroy mm-hmm. it, you know, break by break. And, you know, she cannot let that happen. She wants to live in this illusions. So what I did was I want to see her. I, I told Kai that I need to go and see my mother. But not only that, I told her that I want to bring a camera. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, that is not possible. And for me, uh, for me, I'm like, I have to, because I have to document, you know, I have to document what is going on to us so that uh, people can somehow see what is happening, even though I have to bring it and, you know, whatever thing happened, like, happened anyway. And Kai finally agreed. And she hide it at the corner of the luggage. She put the underwear on top of it. So they are more or less like more than 10 checkpoints that the, the military soldier checked. And they never touch it because like touching the woman's mm-hmm. underwear is basically well lower and hurt their, uh, their spiritual, spiritual credit, you know, mm-hmm. sp- spiritual value. And then by, by touching that, they, their spiritual value will be so low that they will... They can even get killed in at, uh, at the front line, you know, during July there. I basically used that against themselves. And that was the kind of time that if, if they see a camera and you will get killed. Yeah. But finally, we reached to the town where my mother was being house arrested. And we saw the whole compound was surrounded by these like uh, fully geared, fully uh, soldiers and police. We were actually hiding, and then the car go inside. So from that, yeah, I started to gosh. see my mother, and then we started to talk uh, from 6, a- 6 p.m. to 4 a.m. Uh, and when she actually see my face, uh, she can see that my concerns are genuine. And then I asked her, I asked her uh, do you want to be with you? I know that it will be better for you if I'm with you. So she she think for a while and she said that just go i have been started to document the house i yeah. started to create a series of photographic like every day based our walk and also i started to perform by wearing my father's political uniform so so police and social if they can see that uh, uh the opposition political party uniform is being worn inside the compound that they've been monitoring they were arrested me immediately or shot from the distance. Uh, and yes, my, my artworks tell the story about uh, this one family, which faced these atrocities from the oppressive, uh, most brutalist Nazi fascist military hunter. And, and we are not special, uh, Georgia. We're just one tiny grain among this desert full of suns. And for me, my, my work is an excuse. I basically like, Across uh, so many cities, and you know, uh, and finally get to UK. I was in other country before that. I finally get to UK, and I I have to try a lot to ra- raise my voice because it is really really yeah. hard to find people who actually care. We don't have uh, almost none organization that is helping us, but like you know, with kind and I alone, we just want to show the world as an excuse to tell people how we actually 
experience, you know, to tell people how we actually feel, to let them see from our perspective. It's really hard for me to uh, say, well, it is it art or it is just my life, my complicated and chaotic life. So I don't know, but uh, now I'm going to residency. So I, I think I will take that opportunity to develop more works, more excuses to let people see, like I brilliantly mentioned, to see our suffering and let people let people see our suffering so that they can enjoy our tragedy. Many thanks to Sai and Kay for joining us for this week's episode. You can learn more about their work through the links in the description. Coming up next week, we talk to a Sudanese political cartoonist about his work. If you're enjoying the Art Persist podcast, please rate, follow and share it online. Only with your help can these important stories be heard. Thanks for listening and see you next week.